It's the Social Club brought to you by tvsportsblog.com. I'm your host, Harry Simu. We're going to be discussing a wide variety of topics, Arsenal and non-Arsenal related. I'm joined by a fantastic panel. Smash the like button if you haven't already. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. It's the social club sponsored by tvsportsblog.com. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. and I'm delighted to be joined uh, by my expert panel. First of all, Hertfordshire's answer to a Brad Pitt, Mr. Simon Alavi. How you doing, mate? What's happening, man? You good? Yeah, all good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm sweet, man. All good. And uh, the... The uh, Italian based in Wales, Mr. Dan De Luca, the Cockney Italian, I'm going to call you, actually. How you doing? I was really worried when I was going for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's been a, a crazy few weeks, obviously, with the transfer window being open. Uh, we've been bringing you transfer update shows daily right here. And I've got to be honest, I've got a little bit of burnout, I think, um, from all of that. Um, we've been taking you through the latest transfer stories, Arsenal-related, every single day throughout the window. Um, it's been fantastic. I want to thank you all, first of all, for joining us for those shows, because today the channel hit one million views, which is incredible. Um, and we're fast approaching 10,000 subscribers. As I uh, as I promised you guys, when we get to 10,000, we'll be giving away a brand new Arsenal home shirt. Uh, so uh, if you haven't subscribed already, hit that button. The closer we, the quicker we get to that point, the quicker we start dishing out the prizes. Um, lots and lots to discuss on this week's edition. But we're going to start off uh, by talking about this Mesut Ozil thing. Now, the great thing about this show is that neither Alavi or DeLuca are Arsenal fans. And I always like to get an outside opinion on anything to do with Mesut Ozil because amongst the Arsenal fans, he's very divisive. You either want him or you can't stand him and there's no in-between. So it's nice to get a rational view sometimes. And so I'm going to come to you first, DDL. Um, you've been making a lot of jokes about this. I'm sure we're going to get at least 10 of them uh, between now and when we wrap up tonight. But as it, the story goes, Mesut Ozil was one of three Arsenal players that didn't want to take a pay cut. Um, obviously, his name was the one that came out. The others didn't. Um, but his sort of argument and his sort of side of the story is that he just wanted to know where the money was going to go and that he was more than happy to help save jobs, but he wanted guarantees as to where his money was going. Fast forward, Arsenal make a number of redundancies. Arsenal let the Gunnosaurus go and then go and spend £45 million on Thomas Partey. Mesut Ozil today offered to pay the Gunnosaurus' wages and it's kind of, it's caused meltdown amongst the Arsenal fans because, it, you know, on the one hand you think, actually this is quite a nice thing that Mesut's offering to do, but on the other hand you feel like it's him taking a swipe at the club. Where do you stand on this, deal? How many listeners have we got? I mean, what, what numbers? Has anyone, ever, has anyone ever seen Mesut Ozil and Gunnosaurus in the same room? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The, the thumbnail a picture of the two. Just <laughs> some guy. Oh man, I was uh, two kids, a... and I'm talking about a mascot at a football game. <laughs> I don't know. You say nothing says recession to start with. Then a mascot used to parade in front of empty stadiums, being sacked because there's no fans. That's just absolutely incredible. And I don't know. I read it, and I thought, well, that's a nice thing to do. And then being the cynic, I started thinking about it the way you've the way you've described it there, where you've got this guy like who's clearly had a bit of a, a bit of beef with a board in the in the um in the winter over February. And you wonder whether really he's saying, Oh, do you know what, fuck you, I can do what I like. I think there are some people looking at it and saying, Well, he earns so much money that you know, I don't know, how much does a dinosaur earn? I don't know what the going rate is, but <laughs> you know, even if he earns even if he earns, I don't know, five hundred quid a game, you know, it's not it's not, it's not massive, but it's still a nice gesture. But I just find it, you know, it's, it's great. It's like when someone rips you something to charity, you're still, you know, you're still very grateful. But there, there's something about it that's a bit of a bit of a sour taste. But the irony, the irony of Meza Ozil paying someone for doing nothing is just the most, <laughs> it's just the most <laughs> bittersweet feeling. 
but I'm sure Gunnosaurus and his, and his dinosaur family are going to be very grateful and happy. Although, although to be fair, someone made a point that um, a lot of fans, uh, probably a bit older than Harry, maybe more like Harry's father's age, for example, they've probably like literally grown up with this. Like joking aside, they've grown up with this mascot as being like an integral part of um, the side. So I don't think that he's done it for that reason. But you will get fans who are, you know, 30, 40 year old uh, season ticket holders that go, do you know what? Like, what, what he, re- he must really care about the, the history of the club. He doesn't. It's not he's a, just doing, he's it's doing not a real dinosaur. Two fingers. No, it's not I'm, a real dinosaur. Dinosaurs I'm are extinct. They were extinct millions of years. It's a real dinosaur. And uh, he, do, he never wins the mascot race that they have either, right? But he's just doing it to stick two fingers at everyone to go, do you know what? I'm, I'm just going to fund this, this, this mascot. But the point, the point is valid. Like, he's, he's not a real dinosaur. Dinosaurs, I don't know, about 150 million years ago, they're all gone. So I'm kind of figuring that the guy's been laid off and when fans are allowed back in, they're just going to give the costume to, to someone else. They're not going to retire the dinosaur forever, surely. I just assumed it. Who knew until today it was the same guy under there every week? He, move, you know, he, he moves could... more in a game, I'd say, than Ozzo in general. That, that, and the, reason, that, that, the point that, is, is that, that basically that, this dinosaur... This mythical dinosaur, he's the only person Ozzel's, Ozzel's had to speak to for the last six months. They've probably but built up quite Normally a... he's running away when he's in trouble, isn't he? No, no, no guys, hold on, some... guys, hold on a minute, right? We're, we're, like, we're going off with the joke of it, yeah, <laughs> about the dinosaur. There's no but the reality point. is, no, there is a serious point. Because Mesa Ozil has almost, in my opinion, waged war on Arsenal Football Club by doing this. This is not because if Mesa Ozil wanted to go and give the club the money for the Gunnosaurus's wages, he can go and do that without anybody knowing. Private, the, yeah. the fact that he's done it the way he's done it at a time where he's not included in the team, at a time where Arsenal are about to have to essentially ditch two players out of their Premier League squad because we've got too many non-homegrown now. It is Mesut Ozil. It is playing a game. This is a, a chess move from Mesut Ozil. And that's where I say... Yes, it's funny, and you know, like the gunners, like I don't want anyone to lose their jobs. I do have some sympathy for the guy losing his job, but I've got to be honest. I've supported Arsenal for the best part of what twenty-five years, and I didn't know who the guy was. I didn't know his name or anything like that. So it's not like you know, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm sad and I'm upset for the guy because he's he's got. I didn't know who he was. But, but was, this... was it ever in danger of being one of those seventeen? Because I thought it was just going to be like you know, that's a, it's a soir, is it? Mari sort of type. Too. I don't think he was ever in danger well, of being one of those homegrown players is. in the squad. Really? No, I, th- I think he is. If you look at Arsenal's squad now, uh, two two senior players essentially have to miss out. Yeah, so correct. we expect him to drop. Out, uh, we expect them to leave one of the centre backs out because, as everybody knows, we're well overloaded with centre backs. But who's the other one going to be? When you look at that list of players that are non-homegrown, Mesut Ozil is the only one that Nicol Arteta doesn't use. Cedric Cedric so is it, is it the Premier Murray, League squad? Or do you, yeah, or pre- you Premier League, League squad. Premier, Premier League, League squad. Can't be 70, 17, 19. No. Mari, will be, Mari will be involved when he's fit again. He's out at the moment. That's why he's mm. not playing. You know, But then you've got like Socrates. I think one of Socrates and one of the other centre-backs, will, I think Socrates will probably be left out. But then after that, you know, there is a good chance that Mesut Ozil could be one of them. So is he trying to get this in before that happens? Is he trying to win sort of some goodwill? Yeah. I don't know, but before it's, he it's becomes a hard one. extinct. <laughs> yeah, love it. <laughs> yeah. That's I, think, I think the bigger, the bigger point here, though, is having a player on that salary not being picked is bad PR. Arteta, quite rightly, doesn't strike me as someone who gives a shit and credit to him for that. But having someone on that salary that you can't pick at all because you've left them out of squad is a completely different kettle of fish. And that, that, that's going to be a really, really big move because I don't think Arsenal are blessed in the creativity department. I don't think Ozil's a very good footballer or has been for three or four years. But if the creativity dries up, like it, like it, it was pretty non-existent against Sheffield United, to be fair. It wasn't great against West Ham either. And if the creativity dries up and you've left a £300,000 a week player not even in the squad I, I think it's an unnecessary risk um, to be honest for Arteta to have to take 
Yeah, it, it is a big thing. And, and I'm not saying 100% that he will leave him out, but there is a chance that he could be one of them. When, when you try and apply logic to the situation and you look at the fact that of those names on that list of the non-homegrown players, he's one of the, the few that, <laughs> that Mikel Arteta just simply will not use. Then you start to think that, you know, maybe, um, maybe it's a, it's an opportunity for for him to leave him out and make a real real point. But you're right, it would be a PR disaster. But moving this guy on, the, moving the mascot on, and then having one of your players who isn't even playing at the moment piping up and saying, "I'll pay him," that's a PR disaster as well. So you know, this ongoing thing between Mesut Ozil and Arsenal Football Club. It's just heading for a collision course, isn't it? You know, we know he's going to leave at the end of the season. There is no real sort of coming back in terms of mending his relationship with the club. But he's making sure that on his way out, he's going to make them look as silly as he possibly can. And on the one hand, I kind of, I I get why he's doing it. Because some of the issues that he's got an issue with, I actually think that he's in the right. Not all of them, but on some of them, I think he's got a point. And... um yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. But uh, it's the uh, the tale of Mesut Ozil and the Gunnosaurus. Let's have a quick look at what you guys are saying in the comments and then we will uh, move on from talking about uh, dinosaurs and uh, extinct footballers. Um, let's see what we've got here. Uh, big hello to Marshall, actually, who's, who's joining us and he's a Liverpool fan. Uh, so thank you, mate, for tuning in. It's much appreciated. Um, Graham, uh, regular listener and patron, says, I'm very happy to see Ozil out of the club, but he's on to a winner here. Um, so lots of people kind of getting behind the fact that actually, um, you know, Mesut Ozil, you know, he's on to a winner in terms of out in Arsenal Football Club with this. Um, Jeffrey says, I understand why Ozil was staying at Arsenal. I'm a big fan, but he would save a lot of jobs by leaving. Um, Arsenal are t- uh, two-faced clowns. Kroenke made $325 million in profit during COVID. Why should Ozil take a pay cut? Um, so, you know, a lot of people kind of on his side of the fence when it comes to this debate as well. Big hello to Chris, to um, to Matthew, to uh, Bradley, to Inzo, to Ramit, um, to Russ. He says, blatant Ozil PR, a certain section of the fan base will absolutely love it. Um I've got to say, I'm in the middle of all this. I'm in the middle. I don't like the the sort of attacking the club in in public. And I know he's doing it in a kind of indirect way, but make no mistake about it. That is what he's doing. But I also get why Mesut Ozil probably feels a little bit aggrieved um, about the way the club have treated him of late. Right, let's uh, look back at some of the Premier League uh, action from the weekend. There was lots and lots going on. So two eye-catching results, incredible results. Um, And Dan, we'll give your side a little bit of credit in a minute but let's start off with the big controversy from that game it was uh, Manchester United 1 Tottenham Hotspur 6 in the end and of course there was uh, there was an incident that I'm not going to say decided the outcome of the game because I thought Tottenham were by far the better side on the day I'm not taking that away from them in the slightest but we've got to talk about this red card incident because for me you know if you're going to send off Anthony Martial you got to send off Eric Lamella. In an ideal world, you don't send off either of them. You go and have a word. You show them each a yellow card and you get on with it. Dan, you're a Spurs man, but I know even you felt a little bit uncomfortable with that decision. Yeah, it's just a bad ref. It's just a terrible ref. It's a terrible ref and he's trying to... But it's, t- it's two terrible refs. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's, it, 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 the thing with the two terrible refs is since VR come in, they try to make everything so kind of fact-based where everyone's scared to upset someone else and we're going to create all these rules that we have to follow and you can't overturn it if it's not clear and obvious. So neither of them are clear and obvious. Lamella's little elbow isn't a clear and obvious red card. Martial's little slap isn't a clear and obvious nothing. And so you end up with a decision that is unfair. It's fundamentally unfair. And it's, it's just a bad referee. You know, I don't feel... He's seen Lamella's little nudge at all. He's seen Martial have a little slap and he's seen Lamella go down. And he's done the obvious thing, which is to pull a red card out. And after that point, it's too late for him. Whereas in that situation, all he really had to do was buzz through to his little mate and just say, what have you seen here? 
And then the little guy would have said, I've seen Lamella do this, I've seen Marshall do that. And he'd have gone over and said, well, here you go, lads, it's either a yellow card each or get yourselves up and stop being wallies and get on with the game. But as an isolated incident, because we always do this thing, don't we? Whether it's in the same game or compared to a game from last week or compared to a game from three seasons ago, we always say, well, if that was a red card or that should be a red card and that should be a red card and that should be a penalty. And then you end up with like 47 penalties every two weeks. And the bottom line is, as an isolated incident, it's just not a red card, is it? He's but touched no. his face. But the, the biggest issue is, why has that communication not transpired? So that, that's the bit I don't get. Why has and someone not said to Auntie Taylor, we're not going to tell you anything, just, just go and have another quick look at it to be sure that you've one flick and another <coughs> flick equals the same? Or why has someone not intervened and said, you know what, they've done the identical thing, you might want to have a look here. And that's, they're, me, they're that's, why just... I, that's why I threw my toys out on Sunday and didn't watch the second half and you two made fun of me because I was just wound up by the fact that VAR, for me, I, I, can, I can understand the decision when a ref has missed it. It's the fact that you've got that tool and it's not used that doesn't then sit well with someone. I want to hear the combo. I want to see the same decision maker Fitzgerald Basie. I want to limit on how long it takes. I want to live on how far you go. And then I cannot... It, that is the worst decision. Take the handball rule out, because to be fair, I don't agree with it, but they're sticking to the rule. I don't think they always should within the tolerance level, but they're sticking to it. You, for the life of me, I cannot understand why that conversation hasn't happened. The, the funniest thing is Martial is standing at the end of a pitch. I don't know if you saw it. He's just waiting. He's waiting for someone to say to... Taylor. You can go back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Just do you want to go and have a look at this? Like you, you look at Ori, you look at Hoiber, you look at Sissoka, Kane. They play brilliantly. You look at Shaw, Bay, and Maguire, and how badly they played. And actually, you do Spurs a discredit because you sort of say they'd have probably won that game. That that just it, it leaves a sour taste in the mouth. It does. Yeah, and the thing. It does, oh, and the thing is, the problem, is, the problem with the VAR and the way the subject, the, the subjectivity has been removed from decisions, there's a lot of decisions that VAR rewards cheating, whether it's a dive in the box after any contact or flicking the ball against someone's body hoping to hit hands. And VAR just allows why has that, that to conversation not happen. Just that someone ex- until I know because I don't think I don't think anyone knows. I don't think anyone knows the rules. I don't think the refs know. No, no, I don't think they know what. Why has that protocol- conversation not happened? Why has someone in not such a big game said to Anthony Taylor, "Just go and have a look"? They've probably said to Anthony Taylor, "He's touched his face. So I can't overturn it." Look at the whole instant. Look at look at ten seconds more than five. Like no pun intended. Us being three guys here, but like, <laughs> uh, like, surely, surely. Uh, just for the life of me, I get. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing. The, 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 the infuriating thing is that they don't apply the same sort of process all the time. So what I would have liked, what I want to see with VAR, and I still maintain that VAR, when used correctly, should be a pro, not a co- like it should be a benefit in football. It should be something that we use to get the vast majority of decisions right. There are still going to be some subjective things that we, we're still going to disagree on, and I'm cool with that. But things like that, it should be simply, is there the VAR should look at it and say, is there any doubt about the decision that you've made? Yes, there is. There, I have a bit of doubt. Now you, as the referee, and was it Anthony Taylor? Anthony yeah. Taylor, yeah. you need to go over to the screen. You... I'm not going to say anything more. I'm going to give you the pictures and you decide. That's how I want it to work. But you need to be told but, that there's doubt. And there's a difference between doubt and a clear and obvious error. Agreed. So agreed. that's the issue, the wording. Yeah, but, but it's because they've made something far too complicated because they're worried about what managers are going to moan about, like Mark Hughes. Like Mark Hughes is the prime example. I know he doesn't manage in the Premier League anymore, good riddance. But he's the prime example. He'd just come out and he'd sulk about a decision that happened four months ago. And they'd say things like, we want consistency. You don't but Dan, want consistency, you've got consistency in every... Within 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah, in one game, yeah. Consistency but within yeah, in that, in that example. One guy flicking yeah, but in that example. Stayed on the pitch. Yeah, in that example. But the reason we're in this spot, people forget why we're here. There's a reason we have videos. One is because there's bad referees, and two is because there are unreasonable people 
who make stupid comparisons about things that aren't relevant. So you have to have a video that then starts creating rules that everyone has to follow. And they're just unrealistic. They're unrealistic rules. And now you've got players. Players aren't silly. Players will work it out. A player, it must be the easiest thing in the world to win a penalty. It must be so easy. Any kind of contact. See you later. Over we go. I mean, you know, there's different levels of cheating. Did Lamella cheat? Yeah, of course he did. He's, he has cheated Manchester United out of a player. He's got a player. He's got a fellow professional sent off, which is the most frowned upon form of cheating. Is he the biggest cheat on the pitch? Not by a long shot. That, that, that you know, Bruno Fernandez is, is probably one of the biggest cheats I've seen since VR come in. Any any possible contact over he goes. See you later. But now what we're doing is we're creating an environment for these people to thrive again. But VAR and makes that, it harder to accept. Which is yeah, right. Harry, yeah, yeah. because you say it's a tool, but, but for me, it makes it harder to accept because there's an opportunity to correct something and you, and you don't. Yeah, that's, it's like that's... you can press control or delete on your computer and you're like, I just won't bother. And it's because it's like we yeah, always but... said, though, you can't correct something because you can't a video. I can look at a video and tell you if someone has dived or not. Can't I? Oh, you look at it and say there's not a football fan alive that doesn't agree with what we us three are saying. There's not even the, the most are the most biased Spurs fan can't put an argument together. So why? So it's not a red card. Yeah. So or, even if it is, they're either, they're either both red or they're both yellow. Whatever it, whatever way you want to look at it. So why, if every single other person on the planet can agree, but this, all the these stars are lovely. Most important. All these like, stars. All, all VAR does, and I know, like we've we've argued about it lots of times. We our WhatsApp group goes off all week about VAR. We're always going back and forward about this and that. At the end of the day, what VAR does is it makes these mistakes. It, on the one hand, it gives you the tool to limit these errors because you've got pictures available to you that you wouldn't necessarily have. There's no excuse for missing something because there is another pair of eyes in the background watching it. So on the one hand, it gives you that. But on the other hand, what it does is it takes away all of the excuses that referees use. All of the, uh, you know, I didn't see it. My eyes can't be here and there. I haven't got eyes in the back of my head. I couldn't keep up with the play. All of those excuses are wiped away by the fact that we now have VAR. But what it has also done is it has highlighted the incompetence of the idiots that are given games to referee in the Premier League. If you can't referee on the pitch, that's bad enough. But if you're sitting in a flipping van at Stockley Park and you still can't referee using TV pictures with unlimited replays, then you're Would an you, even bigger idiot. Yeah. Do you agree there's too do you agree there's too many do you agree there's too many guidelines? There's too many guidelines. Yeah. So if you're at work and someone gives you a book that big and you must follow these rules religiously, you're going to get fined. You're sitting there trembling. It's like, oh shit, do I do that? It's like when you work in, I don't know, you think of a really shitty example. I used to be a lifeguard when I was, when I was little. Really good lifeguard as well. <laughs> DeLuca, David Hasselhoff, Baywatch. <laughs> slightly, <laughs> slightly, a stole all my muscles, but, but, you know, and it's like, oh, and it's like someone would come, listener will be well happy we get. She remembers me. But, um, so, but someone would be like, oh, yeah, can I have a float? And you'd be like, oh, yeah, here's a float. And it's like, oh, I can't give them a float because if they drown and then, then the company gets sued. Or I'm like, you know, it's just shitty little guidelines. And actually, forget the guidelines. Forget the guidelines. The people shouldn't have guidelines. Everyone understands football. You should be able to know if contact has caused someone to fall. You should be able to know if a little toe being offside has had a bearing on the goal. You should be able to know if the ball hits someone's hand, whether it has really impacted the play that a penalty is warranted or it hasn't and it should be let go. You have, you to, be have, able to, to, be able to, you have to be able to apply. Rules, yeah. yeah, you have to be able to apply the rules to the situation. And in that situation but, there, when you've looked back at it, if he's allowed to look back at it, you see someone who has smacked someone in the face or slapped their face because he's been wound up. So he should be forgiven for doing that. Even if yeah. you deem Marshall's to be a red card fence, as a referee, you should be able to look at that and say, do you know what? You slapped him across the face, but I've just seen why you did it. So for that reason, I'm going to downturn that from a red card to a yellow. And if you want to give the other guy a yellow as well, then good luck to you. But what, well, they, what they're having to follow is guidelines. Like 60 minutes later and you think... Yeah. Yeah, that's... And, that's, and that's, exactly same, that's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing because there's too many guidelines. It's because no, that was is, there a, is there a covering yeah. defender? 
is it a clear goal scoring opportunity? Yes, there is a covering defender. No, it's not a clear goal scoring opportunity. Okay, it must be a yellow card. You should be able to look at that and say, actually, you've committed grievous bodily harm on a football pitch and you deserve to be sent off for it. It's the same principle in reverse. One's had less of a bearing on the game than the other because it was so late and the game was dead. Hmm. There's too many rules. There doesn't need to be that many rules. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we all agree that the game is becoming a little bit... Um, I don't even know what the word is. Maybe overcomplicated. Stringent. Yeah. yeah, stringent. Good word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to use that at work a lot. <laughs> it sounds about right. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about Manchester United a little bit though, and I, I'm going to gloss over Tottenham a little bit, Deluca. I apologise just because of time, and it's Tottenham, and we don't really give a shit, and we don't really want to talk about them. They were by far the better side on the yeah, night. There's no doubt win. about that. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. deserved the win by a country mile. Kane Hyper and Son. Um, Luke yeah. excellent, yeah. Aurea was brilliant. Kane and Son look excellent again. Um, you know, I don't really like giving Kane credit, um, but that quick free kick for Son, I thought, mm. was excellent and showed an intelligence actually that yeah, um, his passing really... prowess actually over the last few months is yeah, has been quite. Deluca, do you want? Uh, let me give you a line. I'll give you a quick yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. Ah, oh, Tottenham, Tottenham were excellent, weren't they? Really, they, they, the squad is shaping up quite nicely. Can see we the look, viewer count just dropping as he speaks. I'm joking. <laughs> we look, um, we look, we look pretty good going forward for a boring defensive side. Only, only 13 goals in three days. It's quite, quite boring. Didn't really enjoy it at all. Um, no, we're, we're looking alright. To be fair, I still, I still worry about you know the central midfield positions. I thought, I thought Man United were as poor as Tottenham were excellent. So I wouldn't get too carried away by the result. I do feel, based on what I saw, that whilst the sending off ended the game as a contest. I didn't see anything before that red card that made me feel like we weren't going to score again and Man United would have needed four to win. So I felt quite comfortable we were going to get something from the game. And, you know, am I happy that one of our players dived like that? Not really, but, you know, maybe maybe there's an element of nastiness that Spurs have been missing that Mourinho is going to instill. Um, He's been saying so, that, hasn't he? He was saying that during that documentary. That, that yeah, and I think the word, but he, he, you know, you know what he yeah, said. But away, from, away from Tottenham, like it's like it, it depends on the player. If it's a fashionable player, it's kind of glossed over because Lamella's kind of just an average sort of meh. But you know, if that's like if that's a prime Diego Costa, it's it's clever forward play, isn't it? And yeah. I think if he's installing some intelligence in the player in play that gets them. Tottenham sides in the past have played well at Old Trafford and not got anything out of the game. So if that's what it takes, then I guess reluctantly I'm going to have to take it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit about United. Obviously, um, they're in disarray. Um, they haven't been great this season. I, I stick by what I've always said about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Not at that level. It's just he's out of his depth. You know, he's got so much talent in the forward areas. I, I've believed that. You know, there will be days where Man United will go out on the pitch and he doesn't really have to do an awful lot, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He just needs to send them out and their quality will come through. The likes of Fernandes, the likes of, you know, Rashford when he's on form, you know, Martial can be good on his day. Greenwood. Greenwood, you know, they've got the talent. <coughs> but what surprises me is, you know, they they made some, some deadline day signings and we'll, we'll just quickly touch on them. They brought Alex Tellers in. Uh, from Porto, a left back. I think left we can back, all agree. Right? Yeah, 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 I think we can all agree that that Luke Shaw is is dog shit, and that needed to happen. Um, so he's come in. Edinson Cavani's come in um, as a forward. I actually think that that's not a bad signing if you're looking at someone to come in and out of the side and get your goals. Um, it's not what they, they need, is it? It's not what they need, exactly. They went big uh, on Jaden Sancho. We know they had an offer rejected of around about £90 million, I think it was. That got turned away. But when I look at that Man United team, I still look at those two centre-backs and think, what on earth are you doing? Alavi, don't you find it astonishing that they've just completely ignored that position and are prepared to carry on with Maguire and Lindelof? Yeah, I think... Well, or... Or, or Bailly as well, yeah. Um, I think... In, and ironically, I think the, the Sancho signing would have glossed over it and never would have forgotten about it because of the type of player he is. But how they haven't addressed that, again, you have to wonder who's pulling the purse strings at Man United, who's making that, that decision. Obviously, I've made it well-known what I think of Maguire. Lindelof has had relatively high hopes for. He hasn't lived up to that. Bayer I've always rated. 
I think his positional play is just <laughs> it's just ridiculous at the moment. He's he's very erratic. So, you know, you look at the top teams and you can at least go you, you look at City, Liverpool, wherever, and you sort of go, all right, all right, okay. They're not perfect in the centre back position, but there's a Laporte, there's a Van Dijk, there's at least there's one, you know? With Man United, there's you don't even have that one. So that for me, how they haven't strengthened that area. And it's not like a, a half decent centre back wouldn't come to Man United. So that for me is what, you know, do you really think they'd have trouble play, you know, displacing Lindelof from the, if he's not going to drop, you know, Maguire? Um, they don't have any trouble displacing him. So I, d- I don't know. I think they may have just, they may have just got too caught up in the Sancho thing. And, and I don't know, they got, you know, I don't know, Paul Bear Bluff. I don't know what happened there, but it's just, it's just shocking. Absolutely shocking. Dan, when you look at the money that United have spent over the last few years, yet they're still turning up with Bay, Maguire, Lindelof. You know, I, I, think, I would argue that they've just sold their best centre-half to Roma and Chris Smalling. And that is saying <laughs> something. You could, argue, you, could, you could argue that, to be fair. I think that's that's how bad it, bad it was. Their best centre on his like. I think he's on the, his on his best day, on his, he's better he than the, the others. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. But I think this is the problem you have. If you're going to spend eighty million on Harry Maguire, when you want to buy a top centre half late, later on in the you know the same summer or the next mm. summer, other clubs pull up a chair and sit you on it, and they tell you they tell you how much money you're going to spend. Man United clearly don't have that um, for a centre half, aren't prepared to spend it. The same happened at Dortmund. They wanted to buy a player for a price they could afford. Dortmund weren't budging. And I felt the Man United's approach was still, well, we're Manchester United. We can do we can do what we want in the transfer market. But Man United aren't. They haven't got that particular draw um, that they used to have. And they have to work a little bit harder. It's not just, you hear Roy Keane speak and he'd be like, oh, you know, we'll just go and get Kane. Simple. Yeah, it might have been simple in 1998. It's not simple anymore. You're not in that space. And I look at their, their squad. It's hard to put a finger on where it's gone wrong, where they finished last season like a train. Um, everything looked good. You felt they were going to go into the market and strengthen. Donny Van Beek is a you know he's a he's a good tidy player. He's come into the side, but they've capitulated very very quickly, and it's almost like we've seen this happen in previous seasons with other clubs. It happened to Tottenham last year. It's happened to Chelsea before, where you just get off to a bad start and you just feel the agenda building. And I don't see how United are going to get their way out of this particular situation. I think there's a lot about the side. I think they were a side who were overperforming after the lockdown. Um, yep. I think their luck has run out to a degree. They're still getting their customary penalty, whether they deserve it or not. They, you know, <laughs> 30 but, seconds, mate. 30 seconds it took on Sunday. Oh, that was so bad. I did four on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, oh, not for a while. But I think, um, I think this is what the problem with Manchester United is. I think the front three of Rashford, Marshall and Greenwood, I think is a bit of a myth that that's a good front three. So actually, I think what you've got is a comparatively weak forward line, a pretty weak back line, a goalkeeper who no longer inspires anyone in front of them. And but it's still the exceptional got players like... two though, isn't it? It's the two that yeah. everyone's, they're still frightening if they pull it off. Yeah, and, and that's it, but... But, you know, you've still got Pogba in the middle who's brilliant and you've got Fernandez who's brilliant. And I think the reason why things were going so well at the end is Fernandez hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. They had a great deal of momentum. That momentum has stopped. Mm-hmm. And now you're relying on, you know, there's not a lot in that side outside of those two, really. You've got some decent players. Rashford is a decent player. Martial is a decent player. Greenwood is an OK youngster. But they've been massively overhyped by the, by the form of Fernandez. And to put this into context, that front three... This world-class front three that's supposed to rival Messi, Suarez and Neymar as the best front three that have ever walked the planet, they've scored one goal between them in 600 minutes. Yeah. That's, not, that's not top form. And I think the reality is that their team isn't good enough to challenge for a title. And I think some of those players in the summer believe they would be. And now they're mentally struggling to deal with the fact that they're not where they wanted to be. It's, yeah. meant, it's, it's you know They've got a team that's good enough to compete for third, fourth, fifth, sixth, depending on how they play. But mentally, I think in the summer, they were they were expecting to turn up this season everything was going to go well. And it's I not, not going to happen. I think that stems from 
having a mentally weak manager, though. I mean, you look at him after games, don't you? You, you see him in post-match interviews and you just think, this guy just looks like a PE teacher that's just happy to be... And no offence to PE teachers, but you know what I mean? Like, he just doesn't look like he is... How's your brother? Of, yeah, that's why I said, that's why I said it. Um, I had to... Like, it's like looking at my brother. No offence, Andrew, but it's like looking at you, mate, standing there. Like, you'd just be happy to be there, wouldn't you? But... That fire isn't there. I don't know. I just I just don't see it. Um, big thank you to Joseph for your really kind donation, mate. Thank you so much. He's buzzing about Thomas Partey, uh, as is uh, the entire Arsenal fan base at the moment. Um, we're all really, really happy with that. We're going to touch on a couple of other bits and then I'm going to get the guys' thoughts on, um, of course, uh, Arsenal's acquisition of Thomas Partey on deadline day. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't already... Make sure you smash that like button. Let me check how many likes we got so far because there are over 300 of you watching us right now across the multiple platforms, which is incredible. But there are only 65 likes on the video. So if you haven't hit the like button already, it really does help the channel. So please hit the like button. Um, it will help Alavi buy a new phone as well because he's just broken one. <laughs> <It's fun>. um, <laughs> so <laughs> hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. We are fast approaching 10,000 subscribers. And as I said, when we get to that point, we'll be giving away uh, the new Arsenal home shirt. So please hit like, hit subscribe. And a quick uh, reminder to check out TV Sports Blog who kindly sponsor the social club a big hello to john and the team over there right let's talk a little bit about liverpool um just when you thought it couldn't get any more embarrassing for one of the big six liverpool uh, decided that they were going to trump it they went and lost 7-2 at aston villa um First of all, let's give Aston Villa some credit because yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they've done some really good business this summer, haven't they, Alavi? I mean, they've brought some good quality players in. I think they've enhanced the squad and maybe Dean Smith might get them somewhere. I don't know. Have they? Would you say the biggest thing is that they've enhanced the squad or would you also say that the biggest thing is that they've kept on hold to probably still their best, their best player? Because that, for me, when people look at transfer deadline day, they always get excited, but actually, you have to look at sort of who you've kept, who you've kept as well. Uh, I know yep. you've signed a good, a goal, good goalkeeper who you would, uh, who obviously you guys know about. But um, I think actually keeping Grealish away from one of the top sides, and he showed how he showed his class yesterday. And I actually think, um, I actually think Barkley played like he's not a player that I'm always been big on, but I thought Barkley played really well. Um, I did yesterday. I think they went from a four. A four-two-three-one-two, two, sort of a four-four-one-one, and I think what Barkley does so well in that sort of what do you call it, the auxiliary striker type um, role, is that he pushed like Liverpool back. And Liverpool, what Liverpool do so great is that Robertson and um, Trent Alexander-Arnold are able to to come forward, but he made them play so narrow. And the number of times that Robertson wasn't able to um, overlap was so limited. And I know that was partly because. Mane wasn't there, and, and and you know Liverpool conceded seven times for the first time in I don't know what not, since 1963 something like that. I don't think that's fully because of Mane, but um, I do think Barkley did well there, and, and and I think he the way he played stopped Liverpool playing um, to their best. I think Villa deserve a lot of credit. I don't buy this whole it's just because Liverpool's high line didn't work. Let's be honest, like this high line has won in the league. This high line is one in the Champions League. Uh, this high line has limited Leeds, Chelsea, and who else have they played? Arsenal, right? Leeds, Chelsea, and Arsenal to 15 shots or something. So it, it's, it's not a fundamental issue. It's just something that... That didn't Villa work on explored. the night. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, the best Barca team got stifled once in a while by saying into Milan or whatever. So I don't think this is a fundamental thing that it was making such a... a, a big issue about but um, I think just the same way Dan said you have to credit uh, Spurs but you have to sort of discredit Man United I think it's, it was one of those games where it was a mixture of both um, but I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't want to play Villa anytime <clears throat> soon definitely not yeah they're on they're on great form Deluca mm. when I look at that Liverpool team and I watch teams obviously take them on regularly and you, you always notice don't you that people seem to target that side with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez. And understandably so, you know, Alexander-Arnold gets forward a lot. 
he's not the greatest defender, I wouldn't say. But I feel like the, com- you know, you look at Robertson going forward on the other side and you've got Van Dijk there. And it kind of makes up for the fact that he's going to bomb on so far because you've got such a solid centre-half. If you were a Liverpool fan now, would you be worried about going through the entire season with Joe Gomez alongside him? Because I actually think they look more stable when Fabinho plays there. Or, you know, maybe there's an argument that rather than going and getting another winger in Jota, they should have probably got another top-class centre-back. What's your take on that? I did, I did tell the put on, on one of the podcasts at the beginning of the last season, the reason... I thought Liverpool would still fall slightly short was because of Gomez and Trent Alexander defensively. Liverpool found a formula where they didn't really need to defend much. And when they did, Van Dijk was absolutely superb. So it kind of didn't really matter. Um, The fact is, you know, if you're an opposing manager, you've got to target something, haven't you? And that's the area you're going to target. I don't think think they're they're bad players at all. I thought um, Klopp sacrificing Gomez don't think it was particularly helpful on the day, if I'm honest, because it was clear that the issue was the system um, on that particular day rather than rather than that individual player. So now you've, you've kind of advertised the fact even more, and you've quite rightly picked up on it, and other managers will as well. I think tactically, high line, the purpose of a high line is for when you've got the ball in the, op- or the opposition third. That's where your high line comes in, because as soon as you lose it, there's only so far it can go before you before you, you snap it up again. The game was played a lot higher up than that. Villa had a lot more of the ball in the midfield than other teams normally have against Liverpool, for whatever reason. And that's why the high line didn't work on the day. Even against Arsenal, Arsenal got in behind at least once more after the goal. So, you know, on a normal day, you'd expect the top striker to score Lacazette's chance, and that's two. Yep. So Liverpool, Liverpool now needs three goals to win. So they're going to have to seriously review in an... We're not in a world now where only the big sides play with attacking fullbacks and try and get the ball forward a lot. All the sides are doing it now. They're going to have to do a lot more defending than they would have in previous seasons. And I think, tactically, they need to think about whether they're going to drop off a little bit. Um, it's happened to Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola, you know I'm not a massive fan. Uh, I think the guy's an idiot. But Pep really? Guardiola's, Pep Guardiola's, basically, his sole tactic in football is to play a higher line than the opposition. And look what's happening. Look what is happening. That he's getting picked off and picked off and picked off to the point where Leicester scores five, Leeds should have scored five, and it'll go on and on and on. And I think playing playing a line as high as that has now been worked out by lesser teams and they will get chances. Yeah, okay, you will probably score more than the other team. Nine times out of ten, eight times out of ten. But what we've seen yeah. in previous seasons is, you know, there's not many points to play with in Leeds anymore. Teams are only losing mm-hmm. 18, 19, 20 points. So I think... Klopp is going to have to adjust a little bit if he's going to win the league as comfortably as he did last year. Yeah, I'm not saying it's doom and gloom for Liverpool. I was no, a bit concerned. Not. I was a bit concerned how they seemingly gave up. It was almost like they wrote the game off. Yeah. And but is that either... to do with fans? Is that to do with? So, do you think that fans bring you back into the game, or do you think there were a lot of goals at <coughs> the weekend because fans don't put players under pressure when they're through on goal? Or, I don't know. I don't think. I think is there is there an element of that in the stadium as well? There's a bit. Because if you think, when, when Salah made it 5-2, the commentators were saying, could Liverpool get a point out of this? Even Carragher was kind of hoping. Yeah. And you've seen it before. You never quite felt safe for whatever reason. But you've been in grounds where, you know, you're playing a better team and you go 3-0 up or whatever, and the other team score. And you just feel the crowd start to shit themselves a little bit. Mm. And that reflects onto players. And then naturally you get Aston Villa back into retreat. They didn't need to do that. So I think, I think... The lack, of, the lack of fans probably helped. It only suits Arsenal, doesn't it? Because it's just oh, a continuous... Very like, funny, it, yeah. It's seamless yeah. for the last few years. You don't make that joke every <laughs> single show. Don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> no, um, you, you, know, like, you know what I mean? Though? Like, in terms of Villa getting scared because the fans start getting nervous, you yeah. feel the mood sort of drop. Yeah. That didn't happen. So I think that probably helped Aston Villa. And it gave them a little bit more freedom. Yeah. But actually, every time they were getting the ball forward, they looked like scoring. They hit the bar once. Barkley missed a couple... I just think, and, and to be fair, they had a lot go their way, didn't they? Like three deflected goals. Yeah, everything they hit went in. Everything they hit you went in. You know what? I, I saw two great games. I don't think we have time to talk about it. We'll talk about transfers. But I thought the best game was City Leeds. 
I genuinely yeah, we'll, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. genuinely we'll, that was the most entertaining game I've seen all season. We'll touch on that. We'll touch on that just briefly. Um let me just give a, a big shout out to a friend of the show who's currently watching us um on Facebook and he's a former Premier League striker. He knows what he's talking about. Mr. Kevin Campbell. He says hey. the purpose of Villa's tactic was to expose the space where the fullback should be. Well done, Villa, for exposing them. So it's good to see people sort of acknowledging how well Villa done as well. And it, But obviously, naturally, you know, when a team as dominant as Liverpool were last season suffer a defeat like that, then, of course, the kind of go-to, isn't it, is to to dissect sort of what went wrong there. But a big shout out to Kevin. Uh, Kevin case. joined me last week on one of our transfer update shows. You can find that on the channel if you like. Uh, so check that out. Um, and a big thank you to Kevin for his continued support of the channel. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Leeds-Manchester City game. That was the game I was commentating on this weekend. It was a game I thoroughly enjoyed. What I found most impressive, though, about it was... Uh, from a Leeds perspective, obviously, because it, it is a far better result for them than it is for City, I would say. But, you know, when you, you you saw the beginning of that game, you saw Leeds trying to play out from the back. You saw Ilan Melier struggling to, to pick out sort of players. Calvin Phillips kept dropping into that hole to pick the ball up. And City were buzzing around him, crowding him out. They kept winning the ball back constantly. What I found so impressive was the way Marcelo Bielsa somehow at halftime, managed to turn that game completely on its head. Because there is an argument, is there not, Deluca, that, that Leeds probably should have gone on and won that. And that is a credit to Bielsa, a credit to his players, uh, and the fact that he was proactive in making that change at halftime, which completely sort of, or slightly changed the shape of Leeds United and allowed them to get a real hold of the game and cause Man City all sorts of problems. Yeah, it was... Um... It was so good. It was just um, it just shows the risk reward, doesn't it? You know, mm -hmm. he wasn't he wasn't scared. You could have forgiven him for the pasting they took in that first twenty minutes to just sit there all timid and try and pick one off on the counter and defend it. He got the same result attacking, and you know he could have won the game. Yeah, Man City had a chance or two at the end, a little penalty appeal that not for me, but uh, no, nah, it was it was a penalty. It was a penalty in your red. As in the two separate incidents, the tackle at the end was red and standing was a penalty. But, but yeah, it, it was the way they worked. It was the way they worked it out. From about twenty-five minutes on, they had their first bit of joy. Um, it was almost straight after the goal winning. It was like it was a weight off their shoulders. Sometimes I've watched Spurs Arsenal games in the past, and the one that springs to mind the most was not the beginning of the season where we drew two all, and we were two 0 up. And when you made it to all, I was speaking to one of my Arsenal friends. I've got two Arsenal friends in the whole world. And I said to him, Delighted I said to him, one of them. <laughs> I said to him, we need, we needed you to score. Because it was like, we're just sitting back waiting for you to score. And the minute you scored, we started attacking again. It was like we had a purpose again. And it's like, for Leeds, it was like, once that goal, that inevitable goal went in, it was just such a weight off their shoulders. It was like, okay, they've scored now. We can we can go and play. And it was fantastic. And the subs that, that Bielsa made were, were spot on. He managed to get some support in the midfield um, for the guy. Why is his name escaping me? Phillips. Centre midfielder, England. Calvin Phillips. Phillips. Having, having, he was having a horrible time. He managed to get him some support in there. He put on um, the ex-Man City grad at half-time. Pavetka had great joy on the right. And he really worked out in-game what was going wrong and how to deal with it. I thought it was a fantastic piece of management. Is, it, is he the most important manager to a team in the league? Got to be. Probably, yeah. He has to be. Do you know what I think? Like, I think sometimes the role of the manager is... Like, there's any, like, he can't miss penalties for people, can he? But there's, any, there's a limit to what they could do. But with him, you just feel he's managing a team that, A, he's too good for, and B, the discrepancy between his ability and the rest of the team and what would happen if he left or if he stayed, is bigger, than, wider than any other team I can think of for yeah. many, 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 many years. Deluca, your, uh, your headphones have gone a bit fuzzy. I don't know what's going on. Speak. Say something. Yeah, yeah you sound like Bielsa. a Dalek. Uh, we'll speak click out. out click click <laughs> out and come back in. You sound like a Dalek. Um, not sure why. Come, go straight onto the iPad sound. Speak. I'll take... I've taken that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, I don't know. It, it happens on this program sometimes. It happened to me the other day. I sounded like a Dalek. Um, have you just have you just learned that new word? Because you've said it like eight times. And 
what Dalek. I've said yeah. it twice in <laughs> in the last five minutes. Yeah. I know because I, I think don't, Doctor. Don't I think Doctor Who is shit, right? Like, oh man! Genuinely, I think it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, I've come to realize no, camping, camping, Sorry, camping but. is bad as well. But I've come to realize that actually a lot of people like Doctor Who references. So I thought I'd try and broaden my horizons, <laughs> get them in. Who? Oh, um, yeah. Anyway, the worst, thing, the worst thing is fishing. Yeah, that's bad as well. I'd rather, I'd rather go. Oh, no, I'd rather fish than camp. There's only one thing in the world more boring than fishing. Camp. That's watching people fish. <laughs> right let's um let's get you guys' thoughts on on arsenal's uh, signing of thomas Partey, um and then i'm going to ask you guys each and i know i haven't prepared you for this so i'm going to do it on the spot yeah. I, i'll tell you now so you've got a few seconds to think about it i'm going to ask you who won the transfer window okay um so let's uh let's start off by talking about thomas Partey. of course arsenal uh triggered the clause on deadline day uh, monday afternoon they've done it they pissed off Atletico Madrid in the process who weren't expecting it to happen and actually claimed that they weren't actually officially informed of it until half an hour before the deadline, um, which is crazy. But, you know, Arsenal were sort of threatening to go and make one of these big signings throughout the course of the window. They left it to the last minute. I'm not going to complain because we've got our man. Dilloy's over the line. De Luca, as a rival fan, first of all, I'm going to come to you. Um, is this what do you make of the signing and how big could that be in the context of Arsenal's season and pushing on hopefully for the top four I think it could be massive yeah because players in that position of quality are the hardest to come by out of any position I know okay $20 season strikers you've got one of those so that's that tick job done outside of that to try and find a defensive midfielder centre who is of top quality and has the potential to be massive if he hits the ground running and he's as good as we think he might be. Um, absolutely essential that I think you added in that in that area. Um, Gunduzi I didn't like at all anyway. I didn't think he was very good. He's obviously gone. Torreira played well for about eight games and then it, it didn't yeah. really work for him. So I think it was an absolute must. Um, the forward line... It's an, an ageing forward line. I think you need some energy and bustle in behind it. Um, Bellerin's playing well again. Getting him forward. Tierney is what I would call an attacking fullback. So having someone solid in that position of quality, I think it has the potential to be a massive signing for Arsenal. Obviously, yep. I bringing him in late, I think if you hadn't had nine points out of the nine winnable points, if you assume Anfield away is a tough draw, Arsenal got maximum points outside of that. I think if you yeah. hadn't, I'd be quite disappointed with Arsenal in the, you know, not being ready with the player. If they were going to pay the fee anyway, they may as well have just paid it four weeks ago and integrated him into the squad. So I'd be a little bit, if I'm going to be picky, I'd be a bit picky about that. Um, it's the same for a lot of sides, they work in the same way. But having not shaved even a penny off of the transfer fee, you may as well have just done it four weeks ago. Yeah, I, I think Arsenal were very much uh, prioritising Husema Wa, if I'm honest. Um, and I think. The Leon, the Leon guy. Yeah, I think it yeah. was always a case of one or the other. Arsenal knew that if they really wanted Partey, they knew what they had to do throughout the course of the window. There was no negotiation required. It was go to La Liga, trigger that release clause, and you've got your man. Arsenal had had discussions with Thomas Partey already. The personal terms weren't going to be an issue. That was already ironed out. Um, and that's why they were able to get the deal done so quickly in the end. Because when you consider when we went to bed on Sunday night, Arsenal had not acted on that interest and then by Monday night he's signed this is quite incredible Alavi you have watched quite a bit of La Liga in recent yeah. years obviously he's uh he's made quite the impression in the Champions League as well what's your take on Thomas Partey yeah I think so take the Leon signing side take the sort of Suarez uh Mari and Sabalas um extensions aside looking at him we've had a we've had a couple of discussions on him before Miss Pod where you have said that you're not too sure about him and I've said actually look there are there are two parties one is the guy who everyone remembers a few years ago who went on loan to Mallorca who was a, a, a defensive midfielder and the other is a lot more tactically astute player who's got everything to his game now the final pass um, uh, like I said tactically more astute more adventurous um, 
And do you know what? I actually went back and watched some footage of him and it's impressed me even more. And I know it's, it's good to, you know, you're always going to look good in a YouTube clip, but I think he's a great signing. And I think you had a gentleman on your podcast a few weeks ago and I forgot his name, um, if I'm honest, but he was sort of a La Liga expert. Uh, I think he was from America. Jonas Yeva, really, that's the one. Really, journalist, really great guest. And a bit like how Dan always says he goes into an argument but wants to be proved wrong. I went into that and I thought, I want to listen to what this expert says and then see if he's correct. And I think, and you can correct me on this, his exact wording was, people around in that know the game cannot believe that he's not going for the closer to between 80 and 100 million. I think he may have said something along those lines, right? Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant guest. And when you listen to a comment like that and then do your research and then watch him, in today's current market, the price Arsenal have got him for and the sort of player that he is compared to the stereotype that he actually has been portrayed yeah. of him is a great signing. Yeah, he, he, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with it. But you didn't, like him. you didn't like him a few weeks no, ago. No, it's, it's not that I didn't like him. It's, I, I, I actually, if you watch any of the transfer update shows, when I've been asked, and I was asked the question pretty much every day, um, mm. which one would I prefer, Partey or Awar? Partey or Awar? And for me, I always lean towards Partey. I kept saying Partey because, okay. because I, I miss having that physical presence in the middle of the park. But he's and not I just that. No, he's not just that, but I felt like he could transform Arsenal's midfield straight away. Being a, a bit older, a bit more experienced, having played under Simeone, having played at the highest possible level for a consistent period of time. I felt like he was more a, a ready-made answer, as opposed to Hussein Mouar, who, you know, is very, very, um, you know, technically gifted. But coming from the French League, which is of a much lower standard than La Liga and having to make that transition into an Arsenal side, I think that could have been potentially more tricky. And if they're going at the same price, then, you know, it, my mind was always made up. A lot of people actually think as well, and, and Mike brings this up in the comments. He says, I'm a bit of a conspiracist. I think they always had the money for Partey ready. It was the easiest deal to wrap up. So they pursued a while on a terms on the terms but a deal couldn't get a deal done with Leon. so if Arsenal were always planning to get Thomas Partey if they had triggered that release clause earlier it would have showed wouldn't it to Leon that they actually had the money and then the negotiations would have been pointless because yeah. Leon. What, what if someone else bought him risky take isn't it risky take at the end of the day Bamiyang, which everyone sort of forgets yeah that, that's <laughs> I, I've, it's literally I've, just gone under the radar yeah I, listen you I, kept him like your best player <laughs> listen yeah I, i've said it again countless times on the transfer update shows that the, for me the biggest bit of business during this window was to keep a Bamiyang. so when you consider we've done that we've bought thomas Partey in we've brought danny sabios back who was really good at the back end of last season yeah. um we've added willian to add a little bit of strength in depth in those wide areas um you know we've got a really good center half i think in gabriel I, I think right. i think you can uh, you can say that it's a pretty decent he window looks all right. yeah he does he does yeah he does yeah he does he really going does. on to if, you, if we're going on to actual having to think about your question Best sign. Yeah, go ahead. That was my I'll next probably, thing. Go I'll, ahead. I'll probably go Everton. It, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the whole window, not just what's Yeah, I'm asking about... Hours. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I'll say Everton. I'll say you've got the Napoli kid. I forgot his name. Uh, Adam from Napoli. Um, Hamas Rodriguez, who, again, someone who watched La Liga. None of what he's doing. I know everyone's going mad. None of what he's doing is at all surprising. He's always been this good, believe me. He's always been this good. It's just... Does it show so much when you're at Madrid and you're surrounded by these players? Um, Decore, I know he's not the most gifted player in the world, but sometimes you need a Decore in your team. All the best sides have had the odd Decore in the team. And actually, Olsen from Roma to just give... Because for me, Pickford is... I know you guys talk about the hair like this. Pickford is on his, his last warning for me. So um, I know we all like Ancelotti. I'll go Everton if you want me to pick one. I'm not. I'm not a massive fan of Olsen. Um, no, of, but of I think, Robin Olsen. Of, no, but I guess my point is more. Um, what's the word? Uh, more emotionally, more just to know that someone's come in and you've got that competition. 
psychologically yeah, you've got that kind of competition rather than Arvis is my number one spot. But yeah, look, I know he's not like, the greatest keeper, but we've got him from Roma and yeah, I think Everton. Uh, De Luca, uh, just quickly, guys, while while before De Luca answers that, um, let us know in the chat where you're listening from. Love doing this at the end of the show. It's great fun to see where everybody's joining us from. So fill up the chat box with your current location, De Luca. Um, in the meantime, uh, who won the transfer window for you? It'd be very easy to say Everton, wouldn't it? Because mm. of the dramatic transformation and the type of club they've been. Like they've struggled to finish in the top seven and eight, to be fair, um, and the type of players they've brought in. I did think Chelsea, but yeah. I, I, think Chelsea have, I think Chelsea have bought appallingly. I think Chelsea have lost the transfer window. They've made absolute... But mess. you wouldn't have said that three weeks ago. Yeah, I said it from the beginning. I don't, right, like, I don't like Timo Werner. I think he's terrible. Ziyech is ordinary. I like Thiago. I like Chilwell. Thiago's older than, than Gunnosaurus. <laughs> um, there's, there's an argument for Tottenham in the sense that Tottenham yeah. have now got Heubergs. a player in oh. every position a player in every position. Obviously, you don't know how many games Bauer's going to play, but I think Tottenham have had a really, really good winner, window. But the winner of the window, I'm going to say is Aston Villa. Yeah. Because Aston Villa, Aston Villa were nailed on to lose their superstar, more so than Arsenal were with Aubameyang. But not only have they kept him, they've bought around him as well. And to progress and avoid second season syndrome, I think they absolutely have to do that. So I think in Aston Villa's case... I think Tottenham have had a really strong window when you think of all the tournaments they've got to play. They've now got a player in every, two players in every position. I think that's massive. Everton have improved their prospects. But Aston Villa, I think their window is a difference between going down and staying up. So mm. I think Aston Villa have, have done the best business. In that's forward. a great point, actually. When you look at it as, is Everton's best business going to make them go from 10th to 6th? That's a fair point, relatively. Is Villa's what keeps them up? Yeah, and you've got to take it's into not account. A bad argument, is it? Yeah, you've got to take into account the resources these clubs have as well. Yeah, like, it's yeah, all good saying I mean. yeah. Chelsea have had a better window than someone languishing of at course. the bottom of the league, yeah, but yeah, yeah. relative, yeah, but have they, they actually? They've signed. They've signed the keeper who just won the FA Cup and was mm. integral to Arsenal's end of season form, in my opinion. Yep. I'm not saying he's a better goalkeeper than Leno, but I think he did a better job than Leno last season when he came. Agreed. They've, um, they've kept their £80 million. Pound. If they had to spend £80 million pound on a midfielder, it wouldn't have happened. They've got an yeah. £80 million pound midfielder who's pulling strings. And they've brought players in around him. Ollie Watkins, Ross Barkley, they bought some really good players in. Oh, Watkins. Jeez, yeah, man. straight away. Exactly. They took a punt. Big money punt, right? Yeah. Do you remember we had the Fulham fan on and he was going, I can't believe it. Like, <laughs> I already yeah. wanted him. Yeah, right. That uh, brings us to the end of the show. As standard procedure is uh we've run over but it is what it is good chat great stuff um lovely to talk to you both again and to all of you guys in the live chat i asked you guys to let us know where it is you are joining us from so before we lock off i'm going to go through that and give you guys a shout out um inzo's joining us from the usa am is in eritrea uh deste escozia uh, Washington, D.C., Montreal, Canada, Seattle, USA, India, where it's 2 a.m. right now. So hats off to you, Vikshan, for staying up till 2 a.m. to watch us. It's incredible. Bed. <laughs> Is it um, sunny there? It's 2 a.m., mate. It's probably dark. <laughs> um, big hello to Ramit, uh, who always joins us regularly from Kolkata. Uh, Seb is in New York. Um, Nicholas is in Southgate. Uh, down the road. <laughs> yeah, we finally found someone near <laughs> <Yeah>. Arsenal. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Serge Gnabry, not the Serge Gnabry, obviously, is listening from Camden. Might be. Um, Rina is it? I'm not going to read that one out because, yeah, I'm not going to read that out. Uh, Niall Healy's in Glasgow. Oliver's in Nairobi. Lemon is in Indianapolis. Uh, we've got Essex. We've got uh, Valhalla. We've got Wakanda. Uh, Liverpool, uh, Montego Bay, Jamaica, Brisbane, UK. Not very specific, but UK. Uh, <laughs> North London, New Jersey. Uh, Papua New Guinea, where it's seven in the morning. Um, yeah. Not bad. Big thanks to every single one of you, wherever it is you're tuned in from. Oh, we've got more coming through. Uh, Botswana, uh, Kent, uh, America and off the Cali road. 
um oh, east london canning town as well so big thank you to every single one of you at one point there was over 500 of you watching us live this evening which is incredible can i just ask that if you haven't already you hit the like button and if you haven't already you subscribe to the channel we're going to be back very very soon with more content um my thanks to alavi and to Dan DeLuca, we're going to be back next week with another edition of The Social Club. Uh, maybe we'll do a little bit of a deep dive into Everton, actually, seeing as it's an international break. And um, I feel like... Oh, it's international break. Yeah. Do, do you know what, though? Ever since I started in this industry, I look forward to international breaks because it's the only time I get off. So Yeah, but we're all uh, married. Um, <laughs> yeah that's a good point <laughs> great point right until next time guys <laughs> take care have a good one and uh, stay safe all the best